I'm speaking to my friend Adam King, who is a good friend who I respect a lot personally and professionally as well. Uh, very interesting experience based. And I'm not sure how much of it I'm allowed to share. So Adam, I'll let you introduce yourself and a bit about <laughs> what you do and uh, your background because you've been on a fascinating journey so far. <laughs> and uh, I found it interesting to hear. I'm sure everyone else will as well. So, Well, I, I hope I can recall yeah. <laughs> enough. enough. Uh, I, I don't remember a lot of what I've experienced in the past, but... Uh, I am thrilled to be here, to be doing this with you. I admire the work that you're doing for people who are in desperate need of a foundation and a direction. And um, you're doing similar work, you know, uh, you're helping people make sense of what they've experienced and you're helping them make sense of who they can be. Uh, you know, you're giving them a, a, a compass so they can begin a completely different journey. Uh, so currently, just to give you the background since you asked, currently I am working in consulting and uh, mm. occasional coaching. And the only way I've found to describe this consulting and coaching is uh, sort of a sense maker, mm. uh, someone someone who helps people make sense of chaos. And there isn't really a specific kind of situation uh, at the moment. It's lately, it's been a variety of things. Could be uh, business situations. You know, I'm working with a client in, in helping him build out his entire revenue department because that's something he didn't have. And the emergency was, oh no, we might not make, you know, this year's revenue. Um, and solving some smaller issues that way. Uh, you know, in, in the past, I've been contacted by new executives, newly minted executives who have uh, a real, a real uh, impactful position of leadership in an established organization, and no one has taught them how to do anything. Wow. So, I help these people make sense of the chaos of the unknown in this situation. And in the process, while some of that is advisory work, in the process, I'm teaching them how to build foundational skill sets uh, around communication, around emotional processing, around observation. And a lot of those foundational skills are uh, very, very similar to what you and I learned uh, when we first met. Uh, in London. Uh, what was that? Two years? Is it two years ago? Almost two years ago. Yeah. Wow. Behavioral Great. science operative level four. Spook school, basically. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> everyone, and I will say this, just, just, so, just to get it out of the way, doesn't matter where I go in the world, everyone just thinks I'm a spy. <laughs> and they find out that I really working in in this world of human behavior is it the fedora it's i don't even own a hat i have no fedora sadly but it is one of those things that where you when you tell people this side of what we do you know behavioral yeah. profiling understanding people when i was emphasizing more the hypnosis side like yeah i'm a hypnotist or whatever people just 
they have two reactions. They go into complete fascination mm. or occasionally they'll panic. And, yeah. and I think that's just because people go through life realizing that it's not safe to be vulnerable with most people. No, it's not because you cannot trust them to process the information correctly yeah. or, or objectively to see you as just a, a human being, you know, as Chase Hughes says, uh, you see people as reasons. Yeah. yeah. And not many people even know what that means or how to do that. I've had women get up from the table on a first date after I have helped them understand what it is I really do. And a lot of the benefits of the work that I do for people, uh, you know, in some cases I've, I've helped people stay alive. I've helped people find a reason to not die in dire situations and emergencies. And these women knowing, knowing that I apparently have more information at a glance than what they are ever going to be willing to provide in their minds, they have got up from the table and just left. Yeah. So it's a lonely road sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, 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 but it also, it also feeds into that fantasy of, you know, the lone, the lone warrior walking around the world well, so solving problems. The, the song at the end of the Hulk, you know, are you like... <laughs> <laughs> You stole Every time clothes off their washing line and you're just walking down. <laughs> yep, to the really sad piano music as I try to hitchhike my way through another another adventure. Another episode. <laughs> this, uh, really and, and what's interesting is that what you said about the executives, like they're freshly minted, they've got all of this power and I guess freedom as well. But the then it's like, well, what the hell do you do with it? Yeah. For people listening as well it's like well when you when you leave you don't have that structure around you so we used to have like strictly prescribed here's what you think <clears throat> here's what yes. you do here's what you study here's how you plan your week out and uh, here's how to be a good person and here is your place in space time and human history and exactly where it's all going so there's all that structure and then we go out and it's like well i've got all of this freedom technically but it can be scary because mm. like well now i'm in the middle of this ocean of chaos yeah. and i have to make sense of it and there's nothing yeah. really to grab onto so some people grab onto a like quite a controlling partner or relationship other people join a multi-level marketing or something or, or there's this this <laughs> grasping on for something familiar to give us some stability in life and as I understand it what you're doing is you share these skills with people is you're helping them to become to develop that internal locus of control and to have this the skills to be the almost like to be the sun rather than being the planets to have that yes. stability inside themselves one of the things that uh, that you are taught when you're inside a very controlling religious organization, no matter who it is. Um, one of the things that is routinely almost like drilled into you is that you cannot trust yourself. Therefore you must trust the direction of the church or the direction of God as outlined in these principles and doctrines. 
that we believe are completely and 100% right and everyone else is off, even by just a few degrees. That's the environment I was in. Mm. You know, I, I, you know, just for some background, I don't come out of a JW uh, experience at all, but it was a very uh, hyper evangelical, very uh, ultra conservative, very controlling church. It, it didn't have any denominational affiliation. They were independent, which actually made it a little more dangerous. They, mm. We were told when to get up, when to go to bed. Uh, you know, I was thrown into the various uh, Christianized education systems that were very controlling, very strict dress codes. You could listen to this music, but you couldn't listen to this music. You have to be at these meetings every day. You must be at class by this time, and you must be in bed by this time. And if you're going to leave, you have to have permission. It really was as if you were in the military, and a lot of it is to to make you realize that if you were trusted with these decisions, these basic decisions of what you're going to wear and what you're going to listen to, the odds are you're going to fail and sin. Mm. So therefore, we're going to control all of these aspects so that you don't make that mistake. And we're going to show you how to make these choices for yourself. So you are therefore in line with the will of God. Mm. So when you come out of that environment and that is drilled into you for 20 plus years or more, you know, uh, I did a few years in a, in a university similar to that, uh, in a similar, um, uh, similar structure. So when you come out of that, you don't trust yourself to have that locus of control. You don't have the skills emotionally or, or uh, mentally. You don't have the critical thinking skills because those are not encouraged. Uh, you don't have decision-making skills. You don't have emotional skills of, of processing. You don't have emotional skills of recognizing other people, uh, recognizing yourself and other people, or uh, being able to process emotions uh, properly. You, you're lacking an entire skill set that, that builds self-trust that is necessary for making choices in life, for choosing a path, for creating a purpose, for carving out different niches and missions, uh, for relating to people in deep, meaningful ways that create long-lasting friendships or romantic partnerships or anything. Mm -hmm. uh, you you don't have that sense of, of trust. And so uh, part of my work is helping people develop that sense of trust. And the only way you get that self-trust is by practicing a base set of skills, depending on your situation, the skills can, can vary, but we identify what they need. We identify what's missing. We identify where they want to be. And so what are the skills that will get them there that they practice regularly? We identify those mm -hmm. skills and then we set up practice times and we set up ways to practice and we set up ways of measurement and, and observation. Um, so even something as benign as can you help me negotiate a contract turns into an exercise of self-reflection when you work with me. And a lot of people don't want to work with me because they are not prepared for that kind of thing. But when they do, the return on that investment goes up exponentially because now they trust themselves in these situations again or in a scenario they've never been before. We've had a, in a previous conversation, we spoke about the idea of, you worded it well, I'm going to butcher the 
quote. There was something along the lines of that most coaching or healing or just guidance systems are obedience based, where it's like, yes. if you come to me for help, I'm going to tell you what to do and how to do it. Whereas your philosophy is more skills based in terms of helping a person develop the skills where they can figure out their own way and have that self-trust that you just, just described. Did I get exactly. that right? Yeah, that is exactly it. Uh, that actually came from my near lifelong struggle in air quotes with weight loss. I was always the fat kid. Um, and it took me years of going through obedience based nutrition and fitness systems that we're all familiar with. Mm. You know, here's, here's how you're going to eat and here's how you're going to work out and you better obey because if you go off track, you're, you're going to lose, you're a loser, you know? And it's a lot of people trying to drill some kind of athletic mindset into the process of just trying to be a, a more fit, lean person. Uh, you know, the, and a lot of the coaching around that is about um, sort of this idea of loss and gain as opposed to uh, focus and progress. Mm -hmm. So when I finally discovered two companies uh, that practiced skills-based progress rather than obedience-based, I finally have the skills to eat and to choose to eat in a way that keeps me lean. And if I choose to go off the rails a little bit, I have the skills to take me back to where I want to be very quickly. And the same with physical fitness. I was getting injured a lot doing the obedience-based physical fitness because it's all about pushing, pushing, pushing. But the skills-based is about how are you practicing? How is your, how is your you know, movement? Is your body movement uh, as perfect as it can be in this, in this moment with your level of strength and with your level of flexibility? And when you pay attention to those things instead, what happens is you get really strong you develop muscle and it's, it feels effortless because it, it doesn't glorify the effort. Obedience-based systems glorify the effort, the struggle, and those are tired and boring stories. So the, the, the whole rhetoric of overcoming something or uh, the struggle up the hill to get to victory or, you know, the, that kind of rhetoric, if that's being used to sell you something, then you can pretty much guarantee that they're trying to sell you this identity of a winner. Mm. And that sets you up to fail. And there's a really good, really good possibility that's kind of an inferiorly, inferior design process and product anyway. And they're having to overcompensate that with the winner's hero's journey story in the marketing. Mm. That's so what I struggle, right? So yeah, they're selling the victory and they're selling the struggle so that you can brag on the struggle, the hustle and the grind. We see this with hustle culture in business all the time. Yeah. Part of what I didn't anticipate having to do was deprogram the hustle culture out of all of these different people who are involved in, in, executive leadership positions throughout different companies. Even the older established companies, like uh, for instance, I've got a long-term client who works in insurance mm. and even they are 
are inundated with this like hustle culture because it's popular and it sells. But what it does is it drives people beyond the point of exhaustion and they don't get the skills to pull themselves back and recover. So they're buying the products, they're reading the books, they're attending the seminars. And, I, and not just in business, but I notice this in fitness and nutrition and even uh, spirituality. Mm. They're buying the books, they're buying the courses, they're attending the seminars, and they're coming out of it without any definitive starting point. And they're still lacking basic skills that allows them to make decisions that move things forward for the company or for the people. And they still don't even know how to take care of themselves on a daily basis. So some of the skills that we work on are when to go to bed. Like, are you sleeping? How do you know you're sleeping enough? What's your nighttime ritual to allow for restful sleep? But these are all things I had to learn as an adult too. Um, it's like developing empathy for yourself. That's exactly what it is. When you develop the skills of empathy by learning to really listen to people, like we learned in our training, mm. when you develop empathy-based communication approaches to negotiation, to daily communication, when you develop those empathy-based skills of listening and observation, you turn those on yourself first and you develop that self-empathy necessary for sustained practice of the skills. I tell you, that was revealing for me. Wasn't it though? <laughs> So on the training that we're talking about, it's with Chase Hughes, who I'm sure I've mentioned before, you know, 20 years, $30 million worth of research into human psychology and influence and behavior and stuff. Check it out. There's a behavioral table of elements, which is where every behavior is kind of dissected and decoded. It's fascinating. And so you learn that. And then the first thing is, well, I'm going to have x-ray vision and see everyone else. But the things I saw in myself first, there, yes. there are two angles. One was the, the things I noticed in myself, where I'd say something that I had said for months or years. So in, in response to a certain question or some conversation, I'd say something that was just such a me thing to say. And then I'd, I'd say it and I'd feel my body do all this deception stuff and I'd be like holy crap mm -hmm. and then I'd sit and I'd think wait do I actually believe that do I actually think that and then I'd realize no I don't I'm just saying that or thinking that because I've been in the habit of it and that was the first eye-opening thing the second eye-opening thing was that you see people lie all the time <clears throat> but it's not in a malicious way it's in a really sad way yeah, you start to see people when someone's saying something positive about themselves or that they're looking forward to seeing their family over the holidays or that they believe they can do something and and you see that they're lying there's it's not malicious it's not deceit but that they're trying to convince themselves but they don't really believe it and i didn't expect that and when i started seeing that i was like Holy crap, <laughs> that's just like a punch to the gut. It, the training made it infinitely easier to spot the scripts that people default to. Mm. But like you just mentioned, I did not anticipate that it would turn the magnifying glass right back on me 10 times more. Mm. I, when I first read the book, 
his book, I thought, wow, this changes everything for me as far as my understanding and my, you know, and how I'm going to approach life and, uh, you know, just my daily interactions on the street. I can never, I can never uh, not see these things now. But then when I went to the training, I left that training and I realized that at the end of all of it, I was reflecting on things in the hotel room. I remember taking a huge sigh and saying out loud, oh God, I, I can't be the same anymore after this. Mm-hmm. It's impossible because of that self magnification that now that you have an intimate understanding of human behavior in relation to the people around you, you now have really deep understanding of your own behavior in relation to the environment around you. Mm. And And the level of the the level of self-responsibility that that awareness brings is what most people are living to avoid. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's in the word amusement, isn't it? I remember hearing <laughs> one time we're constantly amusing ourselves. Yes. But in the word, it's the opposite of musing and reflecting and thinking about things. And this, and any crisis thing, like people listening, they might be XJWs, they might just be people overcoming some kind of cultural indoctrination. And I always refer back to this, which I don't know whether people like it or hate it. But I believe it, so I keep saying it, is that everyone has been indoctrinated in some way. When you look up the definition mm. of indoctrination, it means uh, to be taught to believe something without questioning it. And the human beings, up to the age of about six or seven, we don't have the ability to question things. We don't have no. that critical factor. So we are indoctrinated by default, just by the world around us. We're just like this receptive little thing waiting to be imprinted upon and so by the definition of the word indoctrination whether it's um you know structural and systematic or if it's just the random imprints that are made by family and society everyone's having to overcome their programming that they received yes yes when you learn base skills of observation and questioning, asking questions is actually another base skill that I put people through because most people don't know how to ask good questions that get proper information. When you change the way you communicate, especially when you change the kind of questions you ask, the results you experience change as well. Um, But when you begin to self-observe and self-question, then you really begin to see where your indoctrination is running on autopilot. Um, Especially if you set out to start looking for it. Once you start recognizing it, it becomes a little addictive, at least it was for me, it becomes a little addictive to start catching what are the other places. And I will say, you're not gonna get to a point where suddenly it's, you find it all and it's all gone so you can rewrite it. Um, I wish it was that binary. <laughs> I wish I could look at a black screen with the, with the yellow text like I'm writing code and scroll to find those little lines and then know that there's a limited number of those lines. I'm not so sure, I don't know. But yeah. um, 
I can say with certainty that my path to recovery and self-trust got a lot faster and a lot more effective after learning these skills through, mm. through Chase and, and, and his work. Um, it was a longer process. And you and I were just discussing this at the beginning of, the, of our call today. It's, it was a longer process because there, I did have a team, a recovery team. Mm. And that is something I know that you are uh, talking about and exploring. And as a loner, and as someone who's kind of been a loner most of my life, uh, teams are not on the radar. Yeah. And, and that alone, I think, has slowed the process of emotional recovery. Because, you know, as I described to you, I, I will habitually experience the same kind of collapse over and over and over again because I'm trying to do it differently every time, which is kind of Einstein's definition of insanity, you know? Um, but if I had a, a, a team around me or if I had someone I could turn to in, the, in those moments of frustration who could point out that I'm doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results, then I could adapt the behaviors to, to first of all, prevent that, but then secondly, to develop something. And that's, that's where this behavioral-based uh, development and uh, crisis management, I guess, if you want to call it, I still don't know the right phrases, is, is most effective because it gives you the tool sets to autocorrect, to self-correct, to self-analyze, to self-correct, and then to eventually, as, as you learn to trust yourself, you can intuitively begin to uh, develop your own way. Because that's the goal is the world doesn't need another system. The world doesn't need another org chart. The world doesn't need another process. What it needs are people who are critically examining what works for them and what doesn't and dismissing everything that doesn't work and using everything that does and adapting and developing their own path, their own way. Uh, mm. <clears throat> I'm a fan of Robert Greene. Have you read? Oh, yes. Mastery and 48 Laws of Power. Yeah, all of that stuff. I think it was the Rules of War, is it? Something mm -hmm. where, where th this guy's basically, for those who don't know, he's, he seems to be a, a student of human nature who really decodes some, some very fundamental things and not always in the most flattering way, but always mm -hmm. in a very insightful way. And this one which was looking at strategies from war was there was a chapter on Napoleon and on his revolutionary army and they kicked the snot out of, I think it was the Austrians mm. and uh, the, these, I'm pretty sure it was the Austrians and these guys, they had better numbers and they had better discipline. They were so well trained. They're all well polished and everything in these tightly, um, coordinated formation marches and everything else and it was a, a sight to behold those guys and then you got this ragtag band of Frenchmen and uh, just complete renegades by comparison no order no discipline just these autonomous little units but a much smaller band as in by hundreds they obliterated these uh, Germanic folk 
for that very reason. So these these people where there was this, it was centralized command. Mm-hmm. What went wrong in World War One, isn't it? There's there a centralized command, and everyone was just this the automaton obeying this centralized structure and saying, well, our directions come from above, we follow that, and then they get shot to pieces by Frenchmen running around figuring out their own way. <laughs> who, who have a fairly decentralized, mm. uh, if you think about it, if you, if you really dig into that, uh, the French army had sort of a decentralized command, mm. but that was still agreed upon and organized. Yeah. Uh, but it didn't need the external validation of that tightly regimented marching in uniform, marching in, you know, formation type uh, experience that most people would think is, is the, the hallmark of, you know, the greatest army. Yeah. And the, if I'm, I mean, I'm not a military guy, but my understanding is that that's the, the premise that the modern military, which is a lot more effective than back in the day, is built upon. It's like, look, yeah, there's, there's a structure and there are systems and that, but there's autonomy and, and people have that skill base. And now when you've been in a very tightly controlled organization, we're in brigade mode. We're in yes. like following orders mode. And so then yes. you're thrown into a place where it's like, look, you've got to, you've got to learn to swim now. It's uh, that's and the I, challenge. I don't know about, about your listeners, but I know for me, it became nearly impossible for a while to find a job because I didn't trust these tightly crafted organizations, even though it was a business. And my family has a history of entrepreneurship and business for over a hundred years. So I, I knew the structure, I knew it very well, but there was, if you would call it like a PTSD reaction to these structures to where if I was fortunate enough to find a job inside of a company or something, even remote work that was supposed to be decentralized, if it was too heavily controlled, uh, I found myself getting dismissed very quickly or leaving very quickly because, uh, and I didn't put these pieces together until years later. Uh, I was absolutely afraid of once again being caught in a very similar situation. Even though this wasn't a religious organization, the structure was familiar enough Mm. that a tightly uniformed, tightly regimented uh, well-oiled machine still felt like it was going to be oppressive. Mm. But I didn't have the skills to know what to do about it. So I was kind of useless on the job market for quite a while because of that. I don't know if your listeners have experienced a lot of that or not, but um, that's why the goal is when you develop your own skill sets of, you know, base skill sets, um, that we're talking about here, you begin to develop autonomy so that you can trust yourself to know when something is a good fit and when it's not, and that it's not going to be a resource scarcity to say no to something. Mm. Uh, because I, I recognize that as well in my own journey out of this, uh, this church, this religious organization, 
uh, I felt like if I didn't say yes to things coming my way, everything, uh, I was going to be without any of those things. Um, whether it was work or uh, relationships or uh, housing or uh, schooling, education, whatever. It felt like freedom of choice was just too dangerous and too risky because I obviously couldn't trust myself with those choices before. So doing so now uh, was too much of a risk. So I kept throwing myself into familiar situations and almost repetitively experiencing things over and over again. And those experiences also showed just how little I, little skills I had in emotional uh, and mental um, autonomy and development. Mm. But at some point you, maybe from the start, but definitely a perspective that you have is one of, of responsibility or of, of having ownership of yourself. Yes. So rather than sitting and saying, um, oh, that, that church messed me up and I'm stuck here, and that that's, that's like this curse that you have to stay in this little box of repetitive patterns for the rest of your life, you've taken the responsibility to reflect on yourself and say, ah, okay, here are some of the areas where I need to, in order to get better results, I need to do skill development, the first skill, I guess, is figuring out which things to learn. And, mm -hmm. um, and, and so there's that, that beginning there of saying, well, it's, it's not the world's job to be merciful to me. It's not life's job to give me what I need. It's my job to find it and to, to find my own path. And so that, if we were to trace the path from leaving that church and that group, to where you are today would you say there have been like epochs are there some milestones mm -hmm. some yeah but it, it's definitely not a straight line no <laughs> um if you were to chart it out it would look like i was probably walking in circles mm. uh, but yes there are definite milestones of of understanding and and enlightenment uh, to just to to use that term in terms of like illumination, let's just say that. Um, I didn't know what order to build skills. I didn't know what, I didn't know what I was missing. I just knew I was missing things. I couldn't yet identify it. So I had to, like you said, I had to just start at the beginning and say, okay, what do I do first? But I do need to clarify that I was also stuck in that space that you described for a while where you're thinking, yeah. this is it. I am a reject and I will just suffer the repetitive consequences of my ignorance. And this is what I get. There was, there was a lot of that, that would you call that self pity? Um, it's like a resignation, isn't it? Yes. That's a better word. It was total resignation. And I also often wondered if that is what was necessary for me to say, okay, fine, you know, fuck it. This is what I'm going to be. Yeah. This is what I have to suffer through or, oh, well, if this is what life is, then shit. Um, and I, I have wondered if that self resignation, that's a good, good word was often necessary to then just begin. Um, it's like the death and rebirth thing. I think of it. Yeah. It's that, that thing of like, look, 
this version of me is is not functioning. Is <laughs> how I yeah. need to function. And this, <clears throat> the the idea that who we are isn't set in stone is something I really like. So yes, we we learned. Yeah, we're born with a temperament, and that there are various innate qualities, but. So much of who we are is something we picked up along the way. Oh yeah, it's a it's a patchwork of influence. Mm. I use that exact word. I, I'd describe it as a patchwork uh, of like hand-me-down clothes. <laughs> <laughs> it is. That's really good because it is other people's used stuff yeah. that we're grabbing and putting onto ourselves. Mm. And there's no shame in that when that's the only option. You know, we're like no. the like the Hulk, you know, <laughs> lonely into, into the distance. He's just lost his route. He needs to get some clothes he's, off the washing He's line. got to get another set of trousers because these are all ripped. Yeah. So there's no shame in it. Like we do what we need to do. But realizing we can then change that. And something that I'm very interested in with this whole project, and, and I'm interested in your thoughts on this, a lot of my background's in NLP, which boils down to the philosophy that success leaves clues. So yeah. if you get a result, there's a, that didn't happen by accident. It happened, or, or it didn't happen randomly. Like if you put all the ingredients for a cake together and made the perfect cake, certain things happened in a certain order for a certain duration that made that thing happen. And so that's what that whole field is based on. It's where they looked at people who successfully overcame lifelong phobias or social anxiety or were great salespeople, etc. And they decoded it to this level of structure to saying rather than thinking, well, it's just luck and that person's lucky or naturally talented, they're gifted and it's just this ephemeral thing. It's looking through the lens of this is something that can be decoded. So with the example of phobias, I love phobias because they're so testable. Yes. This, I had plenty of them growing up. And yeah. they were fun, they were fun to, to get rid of. And Because you can really see when it works. That's the fun that when you're working with, I've never had to get rid of one myself. I had a mild change. Change is, is not questionable in those situations. Like when change happens, it is obvious. Yeah. You're absolutely right. I had this one guy at the beginning of the year. He picked the wrong year for this phobia, man. But he had a phobia of masks. This is before COVID, if we remember before COVID. But he had this fear of uh, like dentist masks and things mm -hmm. like that. The, anything covering his face, he was so scared of it to the point where he, what did he do? There was something wrong with a tooth and it needed just a very minor dental procedure. And he, um, but it would have needed the air mask thing to, to do the gas and air mm -hmm. thing. Rather than do that, he had the tooth ripped out. I was like, mate, you've only got so many teeth. <laughs> like how <laughs> there is a finite amount of time that you can spend doing this. And just having him describe a mask, he, his throat constricted, his breathing went weird, started sweating, his hands went clamped. Like he was visibly in a, awful headspace and then we went through the process and that's what happened with with the field of nlp is they distilled the process of overcoming something like that and then rather than it being randomly over months or years with a therapist who might accidentally hit upon one of them 
We're just mm-hmm. so that now with that guy, we worked for I think half an hour in that session, and he was like ten times better. Well, just just far, just completely recovered. Basically, you could think about it, no panic attack. You could look at them, no panic attack. It was it was. We didn't have masks on us at that point in time, but it was just a huge improvement by distilling the process and walking the person through it. And so with this journey of recovery, what I'm interested in and what I'm researching is the, the perspectives, the milestones, the beliefs, and also the skills that you talk about that a person needs to learn in order to travel that road in the most streamlined and efficient way. Mm-hmm. So that's my line of questioning at this point. I was asking similar questions and I will say it's been over 10 years since I started this. So I can say with over a decade behind me that looking for the efficient and the streamlined will cause a lot of unnecessary frustration. Right. Um, And I only mean that in terms of you don't know, and I'm talking to everybody listening, you don't know how long your process will take, but you should guarantee yourself and promise yourself that you will spend the rest of your life on it, that your lifestyle is now a lifestyle of constant, consistent recovery. And this isn't because you're such a damaged person that you need the rest of your life to fix those problems. It's because we are continually, as humans in modern society, we are continually being exposed to situations that will remind us of the past or that are similar situations to the past. It's, it's, really impossible to escape situations where people are trying to manipulate, to use, to abuse, to uh, extort, to drain, to oppress. It's happening everywhere. Most of it, not deliberately. Most of it is just in how people communicate because they don't know a different way. So when you commit to a lifestyle of recovery, you are then able to know how to recover from the draining situations that is getting back into relationships or getting back into the workforce or managing a family situation where you're the one who left and they didn't. Um, Any kind of daily life is going to drain us on that level. So uh, really, there is no endpoint. So when I realized this, I stopped worrying about effective. Well, I, I'm constantly thinking about effective, but I didn't really care about streamlined or fast or efficient. Yeah. I actually cared more about effective. That's that's the right word. Yeah. No. Uh, sometimes my language gets mixed up. I am uh, for the for the people listening. I. I'm dyslexic for one thing, but I'm also recovering from massive burnout and uh, CTE, which is uh, what happens when you have a lot of unchecked head injuries. Right. I, I was a total klutz as a kid. 
So I was just always getting hurt, like going sledding. I would hit my head so hard I got a concussion and I'm throwing up and not sleeping or, or like sleeping for 12 hours. And I wasn't telling anybody, you're not supposed to sleep. So I did that a few too many times. <laughs> and uh, 15, 20 years later, the, the cognitive, but also the physical effects came back a couple of years ago. So in the process of recovering from the uh from the lifestyle change after leaving the organization i am also learning skills of recovery from these situations too yeah uh, so i i can say it on on this end uh the 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 efficient and streamlined is good to to look for and design but be okay that it your process takes as long as it takes and that there really isn't an end. It's just about building a completely different lifestyle that allows you to be consistently healthy and nourished and filled. And you find those paths, you find those things, you find those people and you in turn commit to being a person who delivers that for other people. Uh, that, is the shift I think that allows people to be in a consistent state of recovery because you are also looking for a way to be a nourishing person, to be a person that people don't have to recover from, to be uh, not someone who oppresses with your language, but instead, instead enables people to be expressed and to be heard and to be free and to be accepted, to be seen. Um, yeah, I like that. I've, I've not found a very streamlined or eloquent way to express this, but I'll try. Because when I work with people, and, and just my own attitude towards myself in all of this, is it's half, it's the commitment side of that hustle culture we spoke about, where it's like, look, if I have to grit my teeth and battle through this and just charge through and suffer, I'm, I'm big enough, I'm strong enough to be able to do that and I can overcome it and I can be shot to pieces and I'll come out the other side. So there's that level of determination that, that I have and that I want other people to have. But at the same time, that's not the thing we're committed to. It's like, look, there will be a streamlined way. There, there are, or streamlined is the wrong word, but there, there are more effective ways. There's a more direct path through the maze, right? And there's so many people they're looking for that quick fix and i've been guilty of this in the past so well i want oh, sure. that pill sure me too where i just take that thing and that's going to make everything go away it's like look there'll be a more direct path but you still need to walk it you're not going to teleport there and uh, and and so having the determination it's like having that head ring i play guitar and one of the things that we'll do that mm. uh, i know you do martial arts maybe you do a similar thing there is you'll practice far beyond the level that you realistically need. And so you create that head ring yes. so that in a pinch, you've got that extra speed or lethality in your yeah. head. And it's, it's not always consistent, but you are consistently pushing your practice. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so creating that, that fuel source of determination where it's look, even if this was the toughest thing in the world to do, I'm still going to do it which then means that we don't get disillusioned when something isn't the easiest thing. Then it's like, well, look, if I need to troubleshoot this and figure this out and God, maybe I need to learn something else, we don't give up. We just go, well, compared to how bad this could be, this is freaking minor. So, yeah. so I'm just going to find a way. 
And that, that helps me put into perspective for myself anyway. You know, you, you said success leaves clues. I've been saying for years that human behavior leaves clues. Mm. And if you want to, if you want to build that, that base skill of observation to be able to practice in the method that you just described, to give yourself that headroom, you know, to give yourself a little bit of stretch and leeway, uh, you've got to take the time to practice observing your behavior consistently and to find the patterns and to find the reoccurring patterns. You're not labeling it negative or positive. You are not looking for good and bad behaviors. You are looking for patterns of behavior in different situations so that you can then practice something a little bit different and stretch that practice. Um, mm. You're going you're gonna to tackle, you know, after you get done with basic chord progression on a behavioral sense, you know, using a guitar metaphor, then you're going to go for those licks and you're going to go a little higher up on the neck, which is a little, or a little lower on the neck, which is a little more difficult. And you're going to try to incorporate that so that you can get better at finger stock. Yeah. And you know, things like that. So you're going to, you're going to do that on a behavioral um, process too. You're going to need to observe your behaviors consistently in situations and objectively without judgment. Can't emphasize that enough. You're going to have to objectively record them, write them down, observe them, note them in some way um, so that you are aware of them because then you will, you will move forward faster with not experiencing those things again. Mm. So what gets measured gets managed philosophy. Yeah, and the measurement doesn't even have to be that anal, you know? The measurement is whatever, whatever you enjoy, whatever method you enjoy measuring. Um, you know, it's the same for guitar practice, it's the same for martial arts practice. You've gotta have a way to record what you're experiencing, whether it's just mentally taking a note or you write it down or you record yourself somehow, whatever, whatever works. That's something I've incorporated into the hypnotherapy work recently, because I bet you've found this as well in the past with, with the work you do is that sometimes people make changes that are profound. Well, they always make changes that are profound, but sometimes they take it for granted because it becomes normal to them. Yes. And so they're like, well, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm just kind of meh, nothing really has changed. It's like, look at yourself. Life has radically changed. But the, the challenge is that you make it their new normal. You make it mm -hmm. really mm -hmm. in line with who they are to be this new way now. But as a result of that, they can't really access the old way of being, which means that they don't give themselves the credit they need or, or the credit they deserve of how far they've come. So I've, I've forced people now to start just taking those, the authority traits actually is what I use from Chase's mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Give them a way of measuring that. Like, look, just 50 seconds a day. It doesn't have to be long. But just at the end of the day, reflect back and just give yourself a little score in this way. And, and then at the end of, say, a six-week program or something, you can look back and today is a seven and this feels normal. This is like the minimum of where you'd usually be. But just six weeks ago, you were averaging out at twos and threes. So what you're describing is some kind of like self-evaluation yeah. based on how you think you're doing in some kind of practice or some kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, that, that is, uh, you know, I, 
I believe in being as open and, and honest as possible about, about this topic. So that is something I have been lacking lately. I have not been doing a very deliberate self-evaluation in that way outside of, you know, checking in with myself on a regular basis during the day, just saying like, what's going on? What do I feel? How am I doing? How is this going? I do that kind of self, um, self analysis, but what you're describing, I think would be probably 10 times more, um, I wanted to make up a word. Now I realize I don't have to, so I'm stalling for language. Uh, it would it would be a lot more effective to do some kind of uh, numerical, like sliding scale evaluation like that. Yeah. Just to self-evaluate how you're performing because the performance and the consistency are the results that you're looking for. You are not looking for an end goal you are looking for consistency of the performance and the quality of that performance on a regular basis that is the hallmark of practice based rather than obedience based just as a caveat there mm. yeah because it's it's creating a way to quantify the unquantifiable in a way yes I yes so confidence or gratitude it's like, well how do you it's all of that's totally unconscious and I think that's one of the angles I approach is, look, if a problem was unconscious, then once it's solved, if you've done it right, that will also be unconscious. And so, so we want some way where you can, mainly for morale reasons, to be able to recognize, look, I am making progress. I am on track. And I am, like you say, it's not that there's an end goal other than, installing a new pattern of your choice rather than running the old patterns that you didn't choose for yourself. Right. You know, and that, and that choice is a, is a completely different topic that I think could be a separate podcast episode mm. because that was one of the, and this is uh, for me and for also my clients, uh, I, have, I have discovered that the idea of choosing an experience of choosing what you want to experience and choosing what you would rather have as a life and choosing who you want to be feels impossible. Mm. Did not anticipate that for, uh, on my own path and also for, for these executives and these business leaders and in some case politicians. I didn't realize just how heavy of a responsibility it feels to make those choices. But that's because we're all thinking we have to make a choice that means we figured it out. And therefore that choice is then also solidified and concrete and cannot be deviated from when we don't get to choose that again. And I think a lot of that comes from that, uh, that upbringing and, uh, and the program that chooses these things for us because it's for eternity, these choices. And so, I do want to say like when you're setting out on this journey on your own, you've left the, you've left your organization or the organization has left you. Mm. Uh, one of the things that is good and you know, I, and I'm, I'm saying all this in reference to the self-evaluation that you were talking about and those choices that, that you make during the self-evaluation. 
it's going to feel at some point like your identity is like a vapor. I always likened it like I was trying to grasp fog through my fingers. Mm. It just, that's about as real as it felt. And it still sometimes feels that way. Um, but in a very Zen way now, as opposed to back then, uh, it's, it's going to feel impossible to make those, those larger choices that you use to then break apart into skills to practice. So I do want to say, like, start with the smallest things. Maybe all you need to do is say, what do I want to see myself do consistently tomorrow? And in some cases, the situation is bad enough. Well, no, I'm not going to say that. No, it's not bad. But in some cases, the situation is severe enough that the only consistency you're able to think about seeing yourself do is get out of bed and do the chores, brush your teeth, take a shower, you know, because in moments, in times of deep, deep, deep emotional and spiritual exhaustion, even the smallest of things like brushing our teeth and taking care of ourselves and showering, those go out the window mm -hmm. because the energy just is not there. Uh, and that's just fine. So sometimes making those choices, like you described, but for the sake of self-evaluation, self may sometimes have to be as rudimentary as the very, very basics. And that is where we start if we need to in this work. It's um, Jordan Peterson talks about aiming up regardless of where you are and like what's the next manageable step. And like we, we all love these impressive goals like, yeah, I'm going to get up in the morning, I'm going to do 500 press ups like Batman, and uh, then I'm going to do all this great stuff. And then it's like, well, five press ups, and you're up. Oh, I can't do this. And then, then you're disillusioned. And it's like, well, we need to get over the, the arrogance to say, well, I'm above setting a small goal. Because sometimes that's just what we have to do. Um, I still have to set those simple goals sometimes to return to the fundamentals. Yeah. I still have to do that sometimes. Um, but that is what, if you've read Robert Greene, then you know that mastery is repetitive practice of the fundamentals knowing that they're the key to everything yeah brilliant to the basics nice little catchphrase i i'm mm -hmm. learning some something i'm aware of is that i'm not just hypothesizing that we can talk about this stuff for hours we have spoken about this stuff for we have many times on multiple occasions this is the first time that we've had the presence of mind to actually hit record um, it's true. <laughs> a tragic loss of some fantastic material. But to, to kind of tie off this conversation today, I'm curious to ask about your view on these, these, these skills. Obviously, everyone is at a different point and, and in different situations. So there's, there's a tailoring aspect of things. But are there some universal things where it's like look level one is figure this the kind of thing out level two is develop these kinds of skills or maybe not as systematic as that but do you know what i'm asking like, these if you were to recommend like a a, a guideline of some when because we've spoken a lot about skills but we've not really unpacked specifically True. what we mean by that so True. how would you unpack that into um, applicable terms for someone listening. 
I discovered that the foundational basis of skills, the foundation basis, that's not the right word, the foundational base of skills uh, is the first one to practice is observation. And you start with observing anything and everything. And that means starting with you. Mm. Starts in the morning. You observe the body. You observe the mind. You observe the mood. You observe the window, the sounds, the feelings. Is there a breeze? Is the window closed? Is it cold? Is it warm? Uh, how do the sheets feel? How do the pillow feel? How, you know, all of it. Someone beside you, is the bed empty? Is that normal? Should it be empty? Should it be filled? All of these simple, simple things. And then you notice, you notice your mind. You must notice what your mind does automatically. What are you doing repetitively in moments of so-called unconsciousness? Mm. Thoughtless moments. Uh, observing anything and everything. And, and then you record it, you write it down. You don't give it a meaning. Don't dare start giving it a meaning. You just observe. And that is the foundational, that is skill number one that I start everybody on. Observe. It feels ridiculous. But then they come to me a week later with a list of, I saw a bird out the window. I saw my shoes were by the door. I felt my toes on the carpet. Just it feels funny and ridiculous, but that is where it starts. And that level of observation doesn't go away. You just build on it from there. The second thing is uh, what you start with observation and then you move to listening because that is a whole skill set that no one knows how to do intuitively. You can build skills of listening. And we evaluate listening based on how good of a listener they think they are versus what they're really picking up. Mm. Uh, and of course, there's, you know, multiple layers of listening that you and I learned and that we get into also. Um, observation, listening. And then the third one is questions. Asking questions. Uh, I have found that if you take those three as fundamentals, and you practice those, and you practice those while you're learning what higher levels look like, you know, like you, like you mentioned, giving yourself headroom in your practice, you have a, a, a sort of a trifecta of skills that if you return to those repetitively, they improve the quality of your experiences in life drastically. Mm. Because if you learn to really observe, and if you learn to really listen, and if you learn to really ask good questions, and you return to those three consistently, those are the basis to form better choices. So if you start with those three, you build the skills necessary to trust yourself to begin to make choices about who you want to be and what you want to experience and how you want to live. But it will take time. You just have to build the foundations of those skills first. Um, you know, I, I was never that great in school uh, and I failed math repeatedly. But the, the analogy for some reason I always, I always get to is if you look at someone doing quantum mechanics and they're working a theorem on the blackboard, you First of all, think that is mind blowing. But second of all, if you stop and really look at it, you realize 
That is a huge complex equation made up of a bunch of simple blocks of simple, simple integers, simple numbers. And those all started when you learned basic algebra and arithmetic and subtraction and addiction, addiction, addition and multiplication and division. Those are all built on the fundamentals. So something as complex as choosing your life path really should not happen until you've started working on the fundamentals of how do you even begin to choose anything? Mm. Um, because if you're making poor choices about your sleep and if you're making poor choices about how you wake up and what you do with your mornings, I guarantee you, you're not going to be able to make really deep, sophisticated existential choices about what to do with your life. You're not going to be able to make those, uh, in a way that actually has the impact you're hoping for or the security or the, or the satisfaction or fulfillment. You've got mm -hmm. to practice those three skills, observation, listening, and questioning. Start with those three. And there are entire books on those, on just those. Um, so there's no end to what you could learn and practice just with those three. Yeah. I think for people listening, if there was any section of this podcast that they earmarked and just took the points from it's that you know the past few minutes like that point as an action point that you can take away is so powerful and what i love and i'll just end we'll kind of wrap up around this thought i think is that they're around seeing truth or it's around paying attention so paying attention first to what's present with yourself what's present on the outside listening, paying attention in that way and exploring what's on the outside. Because when we're coming from an indoctrinated place, we're used to responding not to the world, but to our own uh, projection onto it. Yes. There's, there's very like, good point. It's like there's the, the world out there and all the people in it are wicked and sinful. And it's all Satan trying to tempt me and all of that. Mm -hmm all of these models. So we're not actually responding to the person sat next to us at the bus or, or what's actually happened. We're responding to the program that got put there as an interpreter of what the stimulus. Yes. Was. Yes. So we're learning to pay attention and tune into just what's happening without yep. judgment, without is this good, bad, wicked, sinful, holy, cleansed, is it, it's just saying, well, what is? And we can worry about decoding it all later. And exactly, exactly. We worry about making meaning of it later, yeah. later. Humans are really bad about that though. We try, to make a, we try to make meaning out of everything. And most of the time what we're doing is defaulting to what we think our emotional identities are that we're addicted to. You know, we're making meaning from that bias we don't even catch that it's a bias. Uh, just like you described, you know, when you're viewing everything through the lens of, of what the doctrine of Jehovah's Witnesses is, uh, you are operating from a deep, deep bias and filtering information that way, instead of being able to observe things as they are without giving it a meaning, simply seeing what is, instead of saying, this is, here's a label, this is, here's a label, this is, here's a label. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely right. And it's uh it's a difficult process for a lot of people to be able to observe objectively 
especially when they begin to turn that on themselves, to observe themselves objectively without labeling themselves, without criticizing, without judgment. Mm -hmm. So um, that's where consistency in the practice and measuring the quality of the practice is a lot more effective than just consistently looking at the results. Like what did, what did I get? Did I get closer to experiencing this? That's actually irrelevant. Mm. Um, I learned that through nutrition. Uh, my nutrition coach constantly had to show me that the results of the scale is not the only measurement. That's actually very inaccurate. What's, what's more important is, did you achieve consistency and did you hit like 80% of consistency during the week? And then what was the quality of that practice? What did, you, yeah. what did you see? What did you feel? What did you taste? What did you cook? What did you choose nutritionally as opposed to not choose? And he said all of those compound over time to equal the results in the scale. But if you're constantly measuring for that like outcome-based then you're constantly setting yourself up for emotional disappointment. And the same is true with skills of recovery and skills of identity and skills of, you know, just life. Um, that's, that's, that's why it's important to, to get help first. So those three skills, definitely that's where you start. But also I do want to say, get help as soon as possible. And that help, I would, I would advocate that everyone get in touch with uh, a therapist who does specialize in some kind of recovery, whether it's, uh, whether they do like a cognitive behavioral practice or they do, uh, um, is it EMDR, the, the therapy? Yeah. Yes. Uh, as, as someone that has been through that before that, that works incredibly well for unwinding a lot of these uh, emotional situations they don't fully understand. Um, but get with a specialist who can help you practice these skills towards a direction of recovery and, and cognitive process and emotional uh, process. So a qualified therapist, behavioral therapist, uh, you know, whoever, whoever you, you decide to trust uh, I say that all the time to my clients. Don't just take my word for it and don't use me as a substitute for therapy. Yeah. Because you will leave some gaping wounds completely unnoticed. Yeah, because we're our own blind spot naturally. So having that extra support from the outside, we, um, you know, I've interviewed a, a couple of people who fit the description you've just said. So I'm, as a part of this, so these interviews, yeah, they're resources in themselves, but I'm wanting to introduce people to obviously myself with the hypnotherapy, but there's so much more. There's like you said, there's trauma release exercises, there's the EMDR, which I can't quite remember mm -hmm. what that stands for, but that's powerful. And, and the help is out there and we never have to feel that we're on our own. No. And, and we absolutely can make progress within ourselves and we can have the support from outside that we actually need uh, from people that, who don't have an agenda. That was the biggest mistake that I made. That was the biggest mistake I made on this, on this recovery process is I did most of it by myself for a long, long, long time. It's only, it's only been in the recent couple of years that I've been able to enlist some help. Um, 
just for various reasons, you know, a lot of it was made up in my own head, but, uh, you know, I've, I've always had that thing about going at it alone and figuring it out myself. And while those are good qualities of determination and self-learning, they're terrible qualities for any kind of rapid emotional recovery or processing or, or developing understanding of something faster. Mm. So yeah. I'm a huge advocate of people getting the right kind of qualified help quickly because it does, even though your, your process takes as long as it takes, working with a professional is leverage that can speed that process up, that can get 80% out of a 20% effort. Yeah. Um, instead of you spending 90% of your effort on something that gets you 10% further along. Yeah. <laughs> Which is so easy to do when we don't know. What oh yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that's why a lot of the, a lot of the emotional and mental illuminations I've had recently could have come six or seven years ago or law or even 10 years ago, if I was working with qualified professional from the start. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's no teleport button, but we can get leverage. Yes. There is a more direct path and we can get the support and the community to, to travel that path and, and to do yeah. Powerfully. I, as I tell clients, I will, I will give you everything you need to practice your way into becoming an elite leader. But it is absolutely necessary that you get with the right kind of people to help you with the unresolved uh, traumas and emotional uh, issues that are at the core of a lot of why people don't know how to do a lot of these base skills yeah because so many of us don't realize that we are recovering from our childhoods yeah an entire generation is net is needing to recover from growing up and i think that echoes backwards i mentioned in i think the previous interview i did about how it's like that six or seven years old point most people don't learn new patterns or very little and so as a result you have generations upon generations of seven-year-olds in adults bodies with adults authority raising other the next generation of children so you have this compounding effect of um of unresolved patchwork oh, stuff. oh compounding is the right word yeah so, uh, and to end on a nice note is that that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's all just going downhill, really. Well, fuck it. All right. Thanks for joining, good, guys. Good luck, everybody. God, would be like those old men on the Muppets, you know, the guys who. Oh yeah. Up in the balcony. To end it on an uplifting note is that, regardless of the compounding effect, regardless of all the things that we either inherited generationally or just that we learned and experienced it's it's fixable and in fact it's it's transmutable it's not just like we can end up as like harry potter's glasses just kind of put together with a piece of sticky tape we can be use it as a source of insight and of strength and of inspiration so it's it's definitely a 
positive thing and it's an opportunity to do something which not many people do and that's right. to wake up and to explore their life as it's meant to be explored it is an incredible experience it is a heavy responsibility mm. and you do begin to be resentful and a little jealous of the people that you see around you who are actively choosing to not wake up they are choosing the ignorant path and you know it you can see it at a certain point but you don't you know there's no reason to judge them for that but it does get difficult when you realize how much personal responsibility comes with that waking up but the freedom obtained is priceless and i would never trade that for anything yeah brilliant i will no longer surrender that freedom to anyone else's ideas mm. yeah I just want to hit stop recording there because that's just such a great point to, to leave hanging for people. And yeah, this has been great. And I'd love to have you on again in the future. I would love to be here again. And you and I, I know we'll, we'll talk for hours on end in between, but uh, anytime, anytime you want to keep going on this, I will happily come back and, and offer whatever I can to help the people. Great. Awesome. Adam King, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Joan.